Hey, hey, hello, hello. No, Vanessa, Vanessa, that was awesome. It was just, I love Brandon, but it was just really cool getting to see you do that, Vanessa. So that was awesome. Well, guys, we're starting a new series, The Discipleship Pathway. Oh, and I want to mention one thing because we're really talking, this whole series is about being church family. And one of those things is when Christ changes our lives, we get baptized in obedience, just like he did. He didn't need to get baptized, but he set the example. So you heard the announcements that we have a baptism class right after this. If you're like, man, I, I don't know, maybe I need to be a part of that, go to Next Steps right over there, right after the service, okay? So if you're even thinking about it, if you're just kicking the tires on baptism, you're like, should I do it? I was saved when I, little, when I was little, I didn't do it, or maybe I was sprinkled, or something like that. Please come to the class. We'd love to just talk to you a little bit more about baptism. So we are in a new series called The Discipleship Pathway. Now, some of you may have no idea. Just a show of hands. No shame in it if you don't raise your hands. But how many even know what in the world I'm talking about? It's something you see on the walls right over there and right over there. But it's the discipleship pathway we have at this church. Let me just kind of read it to you for some of you that may not know about it. This is something we want every church member as disciples of Christ to go through. So the first is to know God through weekly worship and teaching. The second is to find community in weekly focus groups, men's group, or women's events. Make disciples in a yearly D group of three to five people. And then the last is live sent through mission serving and evangelism. So today I wanna to talk to you about that first one, knowing God, this Sunday morning gathering, this church family that we sometimes take for granted that we get to be part of. Your family, this is a feast. We were talking about this morning, and Tom, it's like Thanksgiving. Every Sunday, the family comes. Even the crazy uncle comes, right? I'm not your crazy uncle, hopefully, Taylor Giddens. But they all come to the feast every Sunday because we're family and we get to be together. So there's this story of, of a guy who got up one morning on Sunday morning, and he told his wife, and he said, I'm not going to church today, and I'll give you three reasons why I'm not going. Number one, I don't like the building. I just don't like it. I've never liked that building. Number two, I don't like people. And number three, the people don't like me. I can just tell they look at me funny every time. So the wife did what all wives have to do sometimes. She said, well, hey, buddy, you're getting out of bed this morning. And I'll give you three reasons why you're getting out of bed this morning. First, I got out of bed and I'm going to church. Second, the kids have gotten up and they're going. And number three, you're the pastor and they're expecting you to be there. <laughs> See, the, in all seriousness, the truth is even pastors sometimes feel like, man, is it worth it to go to church? Or we don't feel like it. Or sometimes we have this attitude about church where we've gotten hurt and we're like, I don't know if I wanna be a part of it. Maybe I'll kind of show up or show up once in a while Whatever it is, sometimes we think of church like this, but how many of you know when you felt like that and you got here and then God spoke and you're like, man, I'm so glad I was there today. I love what Paul Tripp says. If you can ever get a, a book by Paul Tripp or a devotional, get it. His Christmas Advent devotional is amazing, but he says something I think is profound. He says, frequently church was the last place I wanted to go, but remained the place I needed to be. He goes on to say this, 
I need to be taught again and again and again. I need the biblical story applied to my story so that I live with a God story mentality. I need corporate worship. I need to be reminded of the truths of the gospel and the worship. But I need something else. I need to hear my brothers and sisters sing the gospel into my ears. I need my dull heart awakened by their voices again. There are times in corporate singing where tears fill my eyes because I hear my brothers and sisters singing those truths that are in my life. And just like everybody else, I drag into a Sunday morning service all the cares and frustrations and trials of life. I have an easily distracted and forgetful heart. I can be an identity amnesiac. And how many of you can relate to that? You see, often we forget about the sacredness of this Sunday morning gathering. God wants us to grow together in church family. That's why we have this discipleship pathway on the walls. When Jesus called his first disciples, see that word discipleship, but that word disciple, write it there in the, in the word itself. We need to kind of break down before we go further. When Jesus first called his disciples, he spoke the simple words, follow me. You see, in its simplest definition, and this is a really simple definition, a disciple is one who follows Jesus. See, a rabbi in Jesus' day would pick a student and say, follow me. And you learned and walked in the footsteps of your rabbi. You reflected him and built your life upon him. And you became like the rabbi. It's the same with us. We are to be his disciples, growing into the image of Christ. And here's what I want you to hear. Discipleship is lifelong. We never graduate from following Jesus. We never arrive. Ask the person who's been following Jesus the most, and they'll tell you, I'm still a disciple, and I'm learning every day, and my life is about glorifying God, and he's refining me. We need each other. You see, we hear so many times, people in the church are like, man, I'm a disciple, I'm a disciple, but then they don't obey him. Do you see how that can't even exist? You can't say you're a disciple and disobey him. I love what Kyle Eidelman says. He has a book called Not a Fan. Good book if you want to read it. And he says, we have more fans in the church than followers in the church. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You see, Jesus called the discipleship it's not one of many things you do. It's an all-encompassing, all-out, forsaking all others to follow Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in a Nazi concentration camp, and he described discipleship this way. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. To die to self-will, self-determination, and self-agenda, but to live for Christ's will and agenda. You see, remember that great commission? That we all hear, we love it, right? We talk about it all the time. Go and make what? Disciples. He didn't just say that to a few people. He didn't say it to pastors. He didn't say it who was qualified. He says, I want you to be and grow as my disciples, but I want each one of you to also make disciples. And that's why we have the discipleship pathway so that we can grow and know him and be with him, but also to go and make disciples. See, Jesus discipled in relationships. I just said a really small sentence, 
but it's really, really powerful when you think about it. Jesus discipled in relationships, and that's why we have the discipleship pathway. We, it reflects those relationships, not perfectly, that Jesus had that we need in our lives. So let me go back through the thing on the wall over here and just kind of share with you Jesus' relationships to each one of those. So we're talking today about knowing God. That's our Sunday morning. But Jesus spoke to the crowds, right? You can probably think of a few instances of that when he spoke to the crowd. But he also had other disciples. He had the 120. He had the 70. He had crowds. The next was fine community. He has community. See, it starts to get smaller and smaller, smaller as he goes. He had the 12 disciples. That's like our small groups, our focus groups, our classes. And then he was making disciples. He had his three, Peter, James, and John. See, they saw things that none of the other 12 saw. They saw things in the Garden of Gethsemane that none of the other disciples were privy to. He was discipling them intensely. And then he always was sending them out. Go, live, sent. And that's our evangelism and serving and world missions. You see, we need those discipleship relationships in our lives. We need those relationships. But let me be clear, our discipleship pathway is not an end-all, be-all. It's not a checklist. It's not the holy grail of discipleship, like it dropped out of heaven, like I think that's Little Mermaid, actually. Probably not. But it didn't drop out of heaven. See, this isn't something you just check the boxes and say, oh, I'm a disciple. I'm there, I've arrived. You don't get a certificate of completion at the end. It's simply a way that we grow together. And while it's a system for discipleship, at the end of the day, discipleship is centered on a relationship with Jesus. This is just a path to let the Holy Spirit transform us together. Because man, a disciple's not alone. He's got brothers and sisters. So I want to ask you a question in a second. As we talk about Sunday morning, do you go to church or you just belong to one? Now think of what I just said. Do you go to church or do you belong to one? You see, this is our Sunday morning gathering. We set aside Sunday to emphasize our love for God through worship and community. But see, our love for God is not confined in any one day of the week. It's not like, well, I can only worship God on Sunday. I can only fellowship with other believers on Sunday. No, but we express it publicly on Sundays as a family, a feast of believers. So again, let me ask that question because I've been using the words family quite a bit. Do you go to church or do you just belong to one? See, the danger of Sunday morning is to come and just be a spectator and never truly belong and grow. See, some of you, I hear this all the time. I hear it in our church. Well, I don't need that Sunday morning. I don't, and you even hear other people, I don't need the church. How many of you heard that? You don't have to raise your hand, but you've heard people say that. They're like, well, I follow Christ, but I don't go to church. That, you can't do that. See, we need to see how important this gathering it is. This is so important. Let me, I want you to think about this. Man, I keep praying today that God would just give us a little piece of majesty, a little piece of, because of, of, we're so forgetful, our hearts are so dull, we forget how beautiful this is right here. All these faces I'm staring at, how beautiful it is, the body of Christ, these living stones together. So I want you to think about this. This may not be important to you, but the church is important to Jesus. 
He thought of it. He bought it with his blood. He gave her a mission. He lit it on fire with his spirit and he's coming back to get us and he loves us forever because we are his bride. If it's important to him, it should be important to us. See, the church is not a building. The church is not a building. The church is not a place to go. It's a people to belong to. And I want you to listen to 1 Peter because man, we just read the scripture, but reflect on it. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Man, we forget the beauty and sacredness of this gathering of belonging to him, but not only to him, but to each other. It's a family. We are called saints, living stones, a temple, his body, the bride of Christ, God's people. It should shake us to say, man, I get to be here in this gathering. Man, we're just a bunch of dirty stones all together. But when the glory of God hits, it beautifies those stones because it's not our beauty, it's his beauty. As we worship him in spirit and in truth, we get to be a part of this. Listen to this. Please, Lord, please open my heart, open my ears, open their ears, open their heart. We get to be a part of his redemptive story. Before the world began, he chose you. But here's what's crazy, because we don't think about this. And some of you are like, oh man, I would have chosen some other people. But he chose you also to be in this, with each other, in this time and place to have the relationships you have, to know the people you know, and we don't realize how amazing that is. And we need to think about that. You are a part of God's redemptive story. And I don't know about you, man, I need that gospel preached and sung to me every Sunday, all through the week, every day, to remind me who I am in Christ. And I need my brothers and sisters who say, hey, Brian, you're messing up, but let me preach the gospel to you one more time. Grace and love and forgiveness and conviction. I wanna say something strong here. You might not agree, that's okay. But you can't be in a relationship with Jesus and not with the church. I I'm serious, guys. Listen to this. You can't say, man, I've got this relationship with Jesus, but not with his church. So you might be saved, but man, you'll be stunted. We need each other. See, it's through the church that God does a work in you you can't do on your own. God connects and provides and cares for us in amazing ways. When we put ourselves in those places he's asked us to be. So a long time ago, I was thinking about this, this is like way over 20 years ago. I was living in Phoenix. My parents were living there. My brother lived in Homestead, Florida, and then he moved to Ocala. My parents were like, we want to be around the grandkids. So they moved to Florida. And I was like, you know what, I, I'm in junior college, whatever. You know, I've got no plan for the future. So if you're one of those, welcome to the club. And so I was like, I can just go to Florida because I love to travel around and see that side of the country for a little while, go to junior college and go back to Phoenix. And so I went and I went over to Florida and we're here and we're in Ocala. And I was, it's one of those things, man, the churchgoers do this all the time. I was like, well, man, I'm not gonna go to the church where my brother went. And where my parents go, you know, I was like, I gotta find my own church, you know, I was doing all this. And I was reading Henry Blackaby, created to be God's friend. And God hit me. He's like, if you're gonna be my friend, then you need to go hang out with my friends. You need to go serve. You need to get over yourself, which isn't the last time he's told me that. 
and you need to just go do something, be with my people and your people. And so I went to this build out that my brother was doing. They were doing a shopping center and a build out. And it was one of those God moments I can't explain. But the youth pastor walked up to me and he's like, hey, I've been praying for a worship leader, you're it. And it was like, boom, just God moved. And we ended up planning a church, all kinds of things happened. But fast forward, I've moved around the country since then, Phoenix, Portland, and I moved to Lakeland, Florida to go to Southeastern University. I have no idea what Lakeland's all about to go to Southeastern. And I get there and I have a report I gotta do. So I go back up to Ocala, the only pastor I know, and he says, hey, I've got a friend that's planting a church called Church of the Highlands, which will become TBA. Go call him. And all these things, and I, it's just a simple story, nothing crazy. But when I reflect on it, I'm like, man, if I hadn't put myself in that place where God wanted me to be with his people, where would I be today? Where would I be? See, we often miss the significance and take for granted the ones we are around. Sometimes that influence is really subtle. Sometimes it's really obvious, but it's through the body of Christ that he speaks to us, guides us, loves us, protects us, leads us into his good will for our lives, even if we don't understand it at the time. So what are these gatherings all about? Well, the first and foremost is the glory of God. Bro, if we could just get in here and be like, I stand amazed at you. That's why I love the last song we did. You're worthy. We're just singing out to the Lamb of God. You are worthy. Because this is all about the glory of God. And I think this, I, I put this in the slides because I, I would just want to keep wrapping my mind around it that we are here to be in awe of the God who revealed himself to our hearts. Do you realize you didn't pick this place? God picked it for you. Do you realize when God saved you, he did it and you did nothing on your own, but he chose you. We get to be a part of this and stand in awe of our God. If we've let the world come in and dull our hearts, then let's preach the gospel to ourselves one more time about the blood of Jesus who cleansed me from all sin when I didn't deserve it. And even now when I sin, he forgives me if I come to him and I belong to him forever. And I get to be with you all too. And you're stuck with me too. So hey, it's just how it is. But the second thing is the word of God, worship and prayer. That's what this gathering is all about. But the centerpiece of this is the word of God. It's actually the centerpiece of every part of the discipleship pathway because if it's not centered on the word of God, then we're a country club or we're just a bunch of friends getting together. It's centered on the word of God. You see, preaching, what I'm doing right now, it probably seems foolish to the world. Unfortunately, it seems foolish to a lot of, of the church, unfortunately. But God has chosen to save through the foolishness of preaching the word of God. He has chosen for it to be how he grows us and sanctifies us. Jesus said in John, sanctify them by thy truth. Your word is truth. Listen, this word that we preach from is God breathed, it's inspired, useful for teach and encourage and rebuke. It's alive and active and it can penetrate spirit, soul and body. It's a revealer, a healer and it leads us to Jesus every time we get into it. Every time at home, every time on Sunday, God speaks whether you realize it or not. Because listen, when you're reading the word of God, you're like, I don't know if I'm getting anything. It's alive and active and it's reading your heart even when you don't think you're getting anything from it. God is looking into your heart. Even though Sunday morning is the first step on that pathway, it's not the pathway or the main thing. I wanna be clear to say that. In fact, 
Jesus spoke to the crowds on very few occasions. I'm sure a couple of events come to your mind. The Sermon on the Mount, the feeding of the 5,000 to name a few. But I want you to think of this. Even when he was teaching to the crowd, he directed the heart of that teaching to his disciples. 90% of his teachings were devoted to a smaller group of 12 men and his three disciples, Peter, James, and John. So you're like, well, Brian, you just tore down everything you said about gathering here on Sunday. That's the worst preaching job ever. So why do we meet then? Well, for the early church, even though they met throughout the week, their practice was to meet on Sunday or Resurrection Day or the Lord's Day as they're gathering. But here's, and this is why I get pumped, because I wouldn't be a pastor if I wasn't excited about the local church, because I love the local church. I love it. I love these unknown local churches who are doing amazing works we won't know until we get to heaven. But listen, God, please hear this. God calls you to a specific community of believers and he speaks to that specific community. That's why this is so amazing. It's unique. Each church is unique in the way God speaks to it. Henry Blackaby says this, each church has a unique assignment and each individual has a unique assignment that it can only be truly realized within the local body God has called them to. Listen, he wants you to plant yourself in a local church to help carry out that unique vision that's wrapped around the Great Commission. You see ours, you hear it everywhere. It's right back there on the wall. You hear it all the time on announcements that we live sent to be the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus to touch our community and the world with the gospel. Listen, you are vital. You're vital. And I know how it is, because you're like, I don't have anything to offer. Because unfortunately, sometimes just like teaching gifts or worship gifts, you see those kind of, you're like, oh, I don't have anything to give. But listen, we don't need you to shine. We need you to let Christ shine through you. And he shines through brokenness, weakness, and willingness. I know the first two all of us can relate to, but I think it's the willingness one that we get tripped up in, right? Because we get fearful. Well, I'm not as good as that at all. I don't have anything to offer. I can't do this. We're always telling God what we can and can't do. And just like in the Bible, when he goes to, I can't remember his name at the top of my head, and he says, hey, mighty warrior, and, the, and he's hiding. He's anything but a mighty, Gideon. He's anything but a warrior, but God says, hey, you're a warrior. Gideon's like, what? I'm a buck 50, and you call me a warrior? Yes. We have to stop declaring to God this or that to him when he calls us what he calls us. And in Christ, we can do all things through him. I'm starting to preach a little bit. I'll get organized here. See, what I hear so often, and I know you guys have heard it, you guys have probably thought it. Well, my walk with Christ is private. Yeah, it's just private. You know, everything I do, it's, it's just, I keep it here. I keep it here. See, salvation is personal, but it's not private. How we live affects all the rest of the body. And you need to understand that your personal relationship with the Lord or your personal choices always affect all the other people in the church with whom you're around. The body hurts if you aren't here or if you won't get involved or if there's tension or disunity. The body hurts. In the Old Testament, an entire nation could be affected by an individual's relationship with God for good or for bad. You see, you don't need the church to be saved, but you need to make sure, you need it to make sure you're living like you're saved. Let me say it again. 
You don't need the church to be saved, but you need it to make sure you're living like you're saved. Why? Because none of us are immune from falling, from sinning, or being blindsided by life. In the moment you profess faith, Satan goes to work trying to lure you into turning your back on Jesus. He won't be satisfied until he renders you ineffective. And often the first sign of spiritual slippage is detachment from the church because you're alone now. That's why you need the church to keep you on track, to hold you accountable, to remind you of your responsibility, to care for you during the disasters of your life and to encourage you to, as you keep on walking down the right path. See, I don't know about you, but I can name names in here of people. Because they loved me, I experienced the love of Christ. Can you relate to me? You don't even know how to explain it, but you're like, that was God loving me in that moment. When they repaired my car, that was Jesus repairing my car. When, when they gave me some food, when they bought my meal, when, whatever it may be, when they encouraged me on the phone, that was Jesus encouraging me. You see, the depths of God's love that we so are desperate for are often experienced through other believers. And it's so important we get that. Because I don't know about you, but I, gotta, I want a lot of love from God, right? So I want to be in this to experience God's love selfishly. Because his love is better than life, as David said. I want you to think about this. Have you ever thought where the early church, their success came from? Because we're always like in church, if you've been around church, you're like, the early church, you know, let's get back to the early, we always think that. But it wasn't like they had it all together. It was because they loved one another, carried one another's burdens, forgave one another. And by the way, this is all in scripture that I just said. There's over 50 one another's commanded in the New Testament. He probably had to command them because he knows that we're knuckleheads, right? And these aren't pleasant little niceties. Oh, love one another, forgive one another. These aren't suggestions. They are powerful commands of community. Let me show you a few in Ephesians. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And down to 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Man, if we could memorize those scriptures and say, Holy Spirit, transform me. Man, this would be amazing. And it is amazing. Jesus said this, you hear this all the time. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. But I wanted to have the warning in there that Paul says to the church, he's pleading. Paul loved these local churches. And in Galatia, he's like, man, I love this church in Galatia. And he says, listen, be aware, be careful. But if you bite and devour one another, so there's a negative one another, right? Watch out or you will be consumed by one another. Wow, that's pretty powerful. You see, the church is God's alternative to the world. When the world sees us, it should see a little taste of heaven on earth. But we get to choose if it's heaven or hell that they see. And if we're walking in disunity with each other, this is not pleasing to him. God takes very seriously how we treat one another. And when you wound a brother or sister, you wound Christ. 
Even if you are right in the situation, if you don't handle it well, it hurts his heart and the one that he died for. And some of you have deep issues with your brother or sister and you feel that it's okay with God. But here's the truth. Broken relationships with God's people are symptoms of broken relationships with God. See, the key is not finding a church where you don't get hurt. Because that's why so many people are like, oh, I'm leaving the church. I'm going to go find another church. Listen, you're never going to find a perfect church. You're going to get hurt. You'll never find that. But the key is finding a church where forgiveness is the rule. And I think that's the secret of a healthy church. And I also think in Proverbs, it reveals two healthy characteristics of a church. It says it's to a person's glory to overlook an offense and wounds from a friend can be trusted. And if we were willing to say the hard things out of love and overlook offenses, it would solve so much. Now I'm not preaching this because there's stuff going on in our congregation at all. This is just a reminder from the word of God. Man, if we would just choose not to be offended, if we would choose to overlook an offense, And man, if we would speak with love and be willing to wound each other in the most loving, holy way with our knees to the earth before we ever say a word that comes from our our mouth to make sure it's from the Lord, man, that's what God's church is rocking. See, I want to say this. His work can be hindered by our attitudes towards each other. How well have you loved your brothers and sisters in Christ I want you to think about that. I'm just going to ask you a series of questions. How well have you loved each other? Or you're like, oh, that person's weird. Well, you're weird too. We're all weird. How often did you overlook their faults? Are you a fault finder? How well did you look over, overlook that offense though it hurt? You got on your knees with Jesus and said, Lord, I'm hurting, but, but bring healing to my heart. See, God expects us to love each other the same way he loves us, sacrificially. First Peter says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. So please listen as I say this. Are you letting your heart be knit together with other believers, even those who rub you the wrong way? Jack's laughing over there. See, I said earlier, that church is a people to belong to, that's not a casual commitment. It's a powerful bond in the Holy Spirit. And part of walking with God is walking with other believers. And I know how you, I'll say it all the time. Well, God's perfect, but they're not. Church is not a perfect place. It's a place of broken, imperfect people saved by grace who are to sharpen each other and grow together. It's a place that he makes us holy. And some people are as grumpy as bears. Others are like hugging a prickly cactus. And some are as sour as lemons. But we are called to love them because we are a little prickly too, right? And a little grumpy in our own way. Got quiet on that. I thought it was funny. Because I'm from Arizona. I pictured like hugging a cactus. Guys, we are family. As we wrap it up, we're family. This is God's family. We're to be a part of his redemptive story. And I've used this before because I love the movie, but Lilo and Stitch, remember Ohana? Ohana Ohana means family. Ohana means nobody gets left behind or forgotten. But I love at the end of the movie where Stitch says, 
again, Ohana, and this is what Stitch says, says we are small and broken, but we are Ohana, we are family. Ben, you can come up. I really want to ask some questions. Now I know they're shuffling around so it's hard to concentrate, but please, just for a second, if, if Holy Spirit would just let us just kind of be attentive, attentive in this moment, what this whole purpose of today was about is a call to commitment. It's a call to church family. This is a call to repent of your attitudes towards the church and each other, to ask forgiveness of someone. Are you bitter at the church? Have you been hurt? It's time to seek what God wants you to do, to come back. Or have you forgotten the privilege of belonging to this church, to the church? And let me ask this, who really knows you? Listen, you can't wait for people to grab you. I love when that happens. But you gotta step into places and towards community. Community. 